0: we drove to a party. Interesting party, celebrated, people. I go up to take my coat off in the bedroom and throw over the chairs and over the bed. Next thing I know, I'm on the floor. Face down, my head is turned to my left and I can see a snake. A very large snake, about I about four or five feet away from me, and it was looking at me, and as it came towards me, I could see the pile of the carpet, the pile was separating under the weight of the, the snake's body, and well, this is real, you know, came closer and closer, and I couldn't move, I absolutely frozen. And then I could feel its its tongue flickering on my face a little bit. And then the next thing I knew, it had driven itself, but it just forced itself into my eye, my right eye. Down, right the way down into my body, curling down. And I can remember its tail still flapping outside as it was still coming into my eye. And then it just curled around down there for a while, and then it came up, 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 out. My, uh, through my mouth, out of the way. From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love & Radio. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, Discarnate Rebel Angel, featuring Timothy Wiley. The problem is... is- To try and define what madness, what is madness, we're talking about a state of mind that looks mad to everybody else. But if it can be sustained, you know, by the person who's seen as mad, then it's really questionable if it is madness or not. For instance, a schizophrenic, as long as he can handle it, as long as he can get on with life, just matters, doesn't matter, does it? I mean, he's just got a different perception. You can call it schizophrenia if you want, but the fact that you might hear voices, I hear voices, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> half my life I've heard voices. Will they give me good advice? Now, a psychologist might well say, well, it's you know, just your alter ego, that's just your whatnot. Well, I don't care, that's their idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if I think it's an angel, that's, that's fine with me, you know? I mean, is it? it really madness to have ended up in a house like this? I moved to New Mexico, found me a piece of land in the middle of the high desert, and I live in the house on my own with my little cat. Uh, in the silence, the wonderful silence of the desert. Personally, and I don't want to kind of crow about it, I think I live a reasonably successful life. You know, we're not talking about <laughs> some sort of mental imbalance or something like that, schizophrenia or something like that. But the idea of being mad for God, you know, that particular line of enthusiasm, you know, that's always looked very mad from the outside. I mean, Christianity, as taught, is absolutely full of contradictions. Priests don't think how stupid they sound, you know, when they make these absurd claims, you know, as if they know what they're talking about. The problem of talking about God is that you get into this ineffable stage where there simply are not words, and it, it's a bit like a psychedelic experience trying to describe it to somebody who has never had one. Or you, know. you could say as well that there are night and day; you know the difference between night and day. You see, we we've, we've so much deprived ourselves of the spiritual aspects of life. I don't think religion has has got the juice anymore. In the old days, you know, you would go to a cathedral, look up and see extraordinary beautiful pink glass, you know, and you'd think it was real and the sunlight would come in. You'd float into it in the zone. do that these days. We know too much, we see too much on television. Psychedelics are really the only way of guaranteeing, guaranteeing an exceptional experience. Now, the best current definition of what a psychedelic does is basically a reducing valve. There's a valve in the head that reduces experience to what we can handle in order to make a living. Right? There's awful lot of stuff going on which is being cut off. What a psychedelic does is it opens that door and allows one to experience what is quote unquote really going on, right? which is much, much larger and more strange and incredible. <laughs> all this bullshit about bad trips. No, bad trips are the youthful trips. They're the ones that have the information. A good trip, yeah, you know, there's no information there, that, except love and, you know. What we lack is initiation in this culture, right? So when kids are say 13, 14, 15, they need something to kind of break through. I think that we should have beautiful little places set up that people could go to, as they would go to a, a clinic, or as they would go to a gym, you know, and people who know what tripping is about there to help them out. Um, and they could go for a psychedelic session. It's certainly one of the two or three profoundest possible experiences. Near death is another one. I was born in 1940, in the centre of London, but in London, and uh, my first sort of memories, really, are, you know, age two, three, of these um, dreadful things, you know. The war had started, I think, in 1939, and by 40, you know, it was starting to sort of hot up, and my mother moved me down to a small village in Kent called Cranbrook. Cranbrook is almost exactly between where they were firing those V1 rockets. German flying bombs, the V1s, they would her along overhead. And the awful thing about them is that you, know, you, you pop, 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 And then we stop. And when it stopped, you knew that was it. They were coming down. And there be this awful period of, of waiting for them this dreadful silence. My mother would put me, they had a table, I guess, a it of shrapnel. Ridiculous, I mean, a table. So there I would be put under the table. And what would happen to me is I would compress, compress and compress and compress this little body. And I would pop out of my body. Was out of my body, in another, another realm, you know. Come you know, like back, obviously, you know, now, you know, just the fact of leaving the body at that age under those conditions give me a sort of a lifelong facility in terms of being able to uh, come and go, you know, a little more easily, perhaps, than most. What did you think was happening to you at the time? Do you remember? Oh, no. I was three years old, no. So? No. You don't remember things when you're out of your body. You don't remember what was happening when you're in your body, when you're out of your body. Um, so no. but you, so you remember leaving your body, but? I don't remember leaving my body, no. No, no, no. I, I was told this by, by the angel who cared for me at that point. And that, I didn't know about that, right, until I did my first answer trip. This is the first of the books I wrote with Georgia. Uh-huh. My, my discarnate rebel angel collaborator. Earth 3. First book was this one. That the one, The Dolphins uh, book. Yeah, and the, that was this one, which was in, in 1992. We wrote this very successful book, Ask Your Angels, right? And it was written with an angel. We had an angel coordinating it. The publisher keep publishing my books. So. I'm always surprised. You see, I never did it for publication. This particular publisher just ask him, what you're working on now. I, said, I showed it to him. He loved it. it. Astonished me. Why? You know. And I write the books in order to understand things that I wouldn't get if I simply sat and thought about them. I think most writers do that. You know, they do it. You know. So it really doesn't matter an awful lot to me whether people read my books or not. I I do know that I have a very small audience. You know? It amazes me. Anybody. Even understands my books or has the patience to read the whole damn thing. You know, you can see in science the fear of being wrong, the fear of the ridicule of being wrong. You know, is, is a lot behind this. You know, we've got to prove something is right. You know, and if you can't prove it, it probably doesn't exist. You know, I mean, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's just a way of restricting everything. It, it is challenging for people to. To hear your uh, your Shtick. Yes <laughs> about angels. Sure. And and sure. they want some evidence. Sure. what are you gonna do? You can't produce evidence for it. you have to use other techniques. You can't say they don't exist because I can't I can't measure them. You gotta use different techniques. And what is the technique? The technique is the intuition. Intuition is like a muscle, you don't use it, it atrophies. Most people never use their intuition. There'll be people who say, oh, that's bullshit, couldn't happen. Couldn't happen because they don't believe in angels. If you don't believe in angels, of course angels can't happen. Not in your mind. They happen, but you don't see them. (laughs) Um, And then there'll be other people who will say, okay, yeah, I may have had an experience with angels, not impossible, um, I may have dreamt of angels. They often contact us in dreams. Um, I may have been in a very extreme situation in which angels appeared. So why doesn't that kind of stuff happen to... Why doesn't it happen to me? Well, because, A, um, it's not your not your stick. You, know, you wouldn't know what to do with it. Uh, would you? I don't know that I'd know what to do with it, but I personally, I am totally open to... There being things that don't fit with yeah general uh, consciously general. I agree. consciously that's fine. What you're not reckoning for is what would happen inside you, you think. because because whether you know it or not, you have constructed a reality as we all have, right? And it's based on a certain certain set of suppositions that you've either inherited, or you've brought in, or you've tested you've come up with yourself. It's when those assumptions are shown to be completely false. It it, it creates a a turmoil in the subconscious mind. Um, So the answer to your question is probably that you wouldn't be ready for it. So so is there something you think People can do a way that they can sure. to have an angelic experience? Well, forget the angelic experience. I mean, you know, just in terms of intuition, you know, do I trust this person? Do I don't? You know, I mean, as you say, why did I trust you? I mean, of course I went through my head. A guy could be a guy. nice. No, I trusted my intuition that you're okay. You, know? but you see, the problem is it's not a question of talking to angels. The question is, why angel want to talk to you if you're so fucked up? You know? You've got to unfuck yourself first. Um, now, this was helped by having a, an NDE, a near death experience, in which I had a whole you know, situation with angels. Maybe let's <laughs> tell that story real quick. This was in New York in the early. In the, in the middle 70s, late 70s, middle 70s, early 70s. Yeah. And I was an architect, and uh, I worked myself to death, basically. I had been put in charge of this hopeless situation. I mean, it was, a, uh, it was such an enormous building. Suddenly, the rent went from 10,000 a month to 60,000 a month, just for the mortgage, just for the that mortgage. That's and I was right. in charge of it all. <laughs> and I had to find somewhere, So I, I was running on like three hours of sleep. If I was lucky, you know. i will have a little sort of chest thing going and every once in a while my chest will give out. And it did. You know, I fainted in my office, I remember. I dragged myself back down to the house where we lived. And uh, I drew a bath. And I lay back in the bath. And probably within... Minutes maybe, I was suddenly aware that I was being lifted out of my body. Now, I, I was not entirely unfamiliar with it. I'd had a few out of body experiences. I, I didn't freak out, but I was being pulled up. Where I was going, I couldn't see. It. I looked down and I was above a, a really beautiful forested valley. In the middle of the valley was a vehicle on a single rail. Maybe a monorail of some sort. And it was whizzing up in this great curve up towards me. Next thing I knew, I was in the monorail. Helped about eight or nine of us. There was a black man opposite me playing the trumpet. He was so into it. And it was beautiful. There was a few people hanging around, and it came to me at that particular point. We are all dying at the same time. Then, at the far end of the monorail car, very bright light. But a voice came to my mind, and said, Yes, you're correct, you are dying, but you have given what you came to do. So we're going to give you the choice. We can either continue, or continue. And I thought for a moment, my thinking was that this is so unbelievable, this is so wonderful, that it's just going to go on being wonderful. <laughs> but if I went back, I didn't know what was going to happen. I really didn't know. My damn curiosity got me by. <laughs> the monorail card kind of dissolved. And kind of like at your height, there were bank upon bank of angels. And they were all singing and boogieing. And it was, I was still with this wonderful sort of music. Uh, heavenly, whatever it was. Next thing I knew, I was standing on a sort of a raised platform above an enormous plain, And there were mountains in the background. Persepolis um, I had that kind of look to it. I could see there was a structure in the middle of the plain, Enormous structure, right? I've likened it to one of those oil rigs. So the massive oil It looked a bit like that, but it was kind of live and moving. And I was being swept across this plane into this big structure. It had almost animalistic forms that were constantly changing. It. it was like it was a building, but it was alive. I was taken in, I found myself in like an operating theatre It had this flat table in the middle, a kind of metallic table quite futuristic. And I was put down onto the table, laid down onto it. Next thing I knew, there were not so little guys, little blue extraterrestrials, and they were kind of skittering around rather fast all around me. And then something came up behind me, a female voice. I could see she was a little bit taller, but she had one of those rather kind of classic faces that you you see in extraterrestrial diagrams, you know, rather large eyes. I heard her say in a very soft, feminine voice, this is going to hurt, but it's only going to be a very short time. It really hurt, but it's going to be a very short time. And this thing swung over on top of me. I couldn't see what it was, but it just went... Wah! Right into my solar plexus. Wah! And it really hurt. But it was a very short time. But it really, really hurt. Fuck. But it was very, very short. Then I was taken to a place. It was beautiful. Just exquisite. And that clicked to me. Yeah, I right. I was taken to heaven. taken to heaven. The last thing I remember was coming back down into the bath. And I had that image. Of kind of like that nude descending the stairs going pop, 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 bound into my bath, again. You know? What the fuck was that? I've never been ill since. I I think they rejig something. I don't know. I, I I I really don't know. Except to say that um, so far so good. Uh, I mean, it blew me away because, of course, like everybody else, I didn't believe in angels. I thought they were part of the mythic past, you know, some guys making shit up, until I had that one experience. And I, very few people I could talk to about it. Now, it's very difficult to talk to people about angels if they don't believe them, as you said earlier, you know, prove it. I can't prove it. I can't even prove I left my body, except that I was dying at one moment, 20 minutes later, or I was, I was healthier again. One of the things about any this experience, a profound one, is it takes you a long time to, 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 to come to terms with it and to integrate it into your life. Because everything is thrown up in the air. Everything. I mean, what are you doing here? What are you? you know, every single choice you make is thrown up in the air if you think there is an afterlife. It just changes everything. Do you think all these motherfuckers would go around hurting anybody if they really knew what was going to happen to them in the afterlife? No. Not a chance. What does happen to them? <laughs> They get what they give. Fire and stone? No, 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 no. No, you just find yourself in a reality where you get fucked over all the time. If you're somebody who fucks other people over. It always amuses me. There's a psychologist, I think, one of these big universities, you know, who's quite sure that near-death experiences happen inside the mind, you know. You have a near-death experience. The thing is, you're so absolutely clear. I mean, we think we're clear here. This is a fucking living in a fog, right? Out there, you know clear. You see, you feel, so everything is clear. There's no confusion. There's no... There's no you know, holding something back from oneself—the you know, one has all the time—is you know. it's pure. It's a good one. I've expressed an interest in dolphins. A phone call came from some people in Florida. Invited us down there. And basically, scrum with dolphins every day. And I just gave myself to them. I said, okay, here I am. Experiment on me. And they did. you know. And I had five questions I had in my mind. Telepathic questions. Each one they answered. One was, how do dolphins communicate through time? All right? In other words, how do they leave information for other generations? What happened was that I, I bent down and... I picked up a sand dollar. And in that moment, the telepathic information from the dolphins was, we use these for information. We project sound waves, which shape the shell, right? So when the shell grows, it retains the information that's programmed into it. So another dolphin will come along and hit it with the same frequency of the zonar. Right. And information will come from them themselves. you know. Information such as? It's a nice day today. There's some good fish around here. Um, did you go to Planet Zonk the other day? It was really cool. You know, whatever. <laughs> Dolphins travel out of their bodies. That's that shtick. To, and do? Uh, to... They travel around. They get around, get around. What what would you say to to people who hear your story and hear about your drug use and just think, this guy's just done too many drugs? Well, you see, my way of looking at things is is being high, gives you access to this stuff. Somebody else would say being high means that you can (laughs) hallucinate all this rubbish. Two different viewpoints you could say, yeah, of course, they create all these delusions. Okay. Well, it's true. But obviously, if one is practiced, one learns to separate a delusion from reality, just as we, we do in real life. You, know? you can look across there and say, oh, boy, that mountain looks like it's shaped like a, you know, a fox. Okay. And then the next thing is, well, how does one relate to that? Some people go wacky. Right? Um, but you're not one of them. Well, I, I don't think so. You know I've never gotten into a state where I've kind of you know been taken over by them or at least uh, I have been taken over by them <laughs> but I've learned not to be taken over by them, put it that way. <laughs> I use them file now these days because um, i i value the stability of the consciousness I've been able to I've been able to arrive at I have never wanted to be the kind of person that people might think of, of a good upright citizen. That's never interested me. Yeah. I mean, to be in a business where the first thing you have to convince somebody is that the thing that you're talking about actually exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forget it. I'm I'm not interested in persuading anybody that angels exist. There are people who know that. I'm interested in talking to them. About your movies here, yes. Do you watch any of these? I have watched them. Um, of course, I have. Yes. Why? I was just interested. I didn't expect to see Chicken Run. Oh, um, Chicken Run! It's a wonderful movie. Oh God, I loved it. <laughs> uh, the voices. I love the voices and uh, the rats. You know, I completely identify with them. And all had all this thing going on in the background. Do you remember? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly funny. I know. I you know. expected You can see my my thing. Yeah. That's it for Love and Radio. The show was produced by Benjamin Bombard, Paulus Van Horn, Brendan Baker, and myself. We are a production of Radiotopia, whose founding sponsors are The Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. And most especially, by donations from listeners like you. Thanks for listening.